as I turn all my things on here, uh, just uh, I want to, from uh, my heart and my family's heart, just thank all of you guys. Uh, my wife and I had a conversation uh, a few days ago just about how, uh, how great it's been to, to join the Generation family and just really have felt, I mean, we're coming up on a year and it's been uh, just really good for us. Uh, to, to be part of that family of families, and it's been a blessing, and so uh, you guys have all been part of that, so from my uh, heart, thank you guys for uh, for being that. Aw, love you too, Alex. So with that, if you guys have your Bibles, will you turn them with me to the book of Ruth? Uh, we are in our third scene, I guess you could say, in this story of, of uh, Ruth. And so as you're turning, let me just kind of quick bring us narratively to where we are in the story. Uh, in chapter one, we kind of meet one of our very first um, characters, main characters in the story of Naomi. Uh, Naomi and her husband, uh, Emelech, leave uh, Bethlehem because of uh, famine. They go to Moab, and uh, Pastor Jeff did a great job of just kind of opening up that first thing. It said they left there and then remained. So they got there, they decided this is where we're going to stay. They had two sons. Those two sons then married Moabite women. So now they've got this family. Naomi probably feels like, cool, this is good. I've got uh, grandkids coming. But then the unthinkable happens. Her husband passes away, and then her sons pass away. And then she becomes this this woman with two uh, Moabite daughter-in-laws in a foreign country with really no way to care for themselves. Uh, and so she hears this story that God has, has visited her people and that he's come and he's blessed his people. And so she decides, well, I guess I should go ahead and head back. So she has this family meeting with uh, her daughter-in-law, says, hey, you guys should stay here because um, I can't give you another son. Uh, so you, it's not like I can replace uh, your husbands that are gone and, and your Moabites and uh, quite frankly, she says, my God has not taken care of me well at all, so I wouldn't even suggest following me on behalf of the God. You should probably just go back uh, to where you were. And the daughters cried, and they loved Naomi, so obviously there was, there was a good relationship there, and she's like, no, just go, daughter. So one daughter decides, okay, I'm going to go back, but Ruth, Ruth doesn't. And so we meet Ruth now, our second main character. Ruth says, where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. She goes, I will not uh, leave you. And so Naomi, knowing Ruth's not going to leave, says, okay, fine, Ruth, let's go. So they go back in to Bethlehem. The closing of chapter one is Bethlehem going, Naomi's back. And she's like, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Because I'm bitter. There you go. That's set scene one. Perfect. Cool. So Naomi, whose name actually means like joy, happiness, goodness, says, don't call me that. Because God has dealt harshly with me. I've lost everything. I have nothing. God is the source of all my pain. Therefore, call me Mara. So then chapter 2 opens up, and now we have Ruth and, and Naomi in Bethlehem, where they have absolutely no way to really care for themselves. And so one of the things that God instituted in his civil law, those of you who don't know what the law actually is, although there was two parts of the law there was the religious side of how you were to worship God, and then there was the civil side on how you're supposed to live uh, life. So it was the law was kind of broke up in a way that it would give God's righteousness to his people through how they would live, so that the nations around them could see, oh, you live differently. So for Israelites, when you had a widow 
or when somebody was really, really poor, there were laws where if somebody had this gigantic field and they were, they were harvesting, the law was that the edges were to be left alone and that they were not to make sure that they got every bit of grain so that somebody who was poor, didn't have land, or was a widow could come behind and what they called glean, meaning they would get the leftovers. So as the team of harvesters would go through the field, then you would have all the people gleaning behind them. So Ruth hears about this, and she goes, Naomi, let me go take care of us. She goes, let me go find a field. I'm going to go find a field so that I can get us some food. We're going to go do this. Naomi says, okay. She goes, and she comes across this field, gets in there. We see she starts to glean, and then we meet our third main character by the man named Boaz. So Boaz, as you can see, as his character is kind of portrayed for us, he's named a worthy man. That's literally what they said, that Boaz was a worthy man. And they give us this little innuendo, this, this little like sneak peek that he was related to Naomi. Now, Ruth doesn't know who Boaz is, doesn't know they're related, ends up on his field, is gleaning. Boaz shows up as all the harvesters are doing their thing, and you see him interact with his people very godly, right? He's like, the Lord be with you. And they're like, oh, God, the Lord bless you, right? So we see this really good relationship with Boaz and his harvesters. So we see this character of this man already right out of the gate. He's an upright man. He's a good man. So he looks over, he sees Ruth, and he's like, who's that? And they go, oh, that's, that's Ruth. She came back with, with Naomi. And he's like, okay, cool, protect her. He says, guard her. And he goes, not only that, don't just guard her, but do a really bad job of harvesting for me. Leave some extra stuff for her. Oh, and you know what? Even don't just give her some of the stuff you've picked too. So protect her, let her have extra stuff, and then here, take some of the stuff that you gave. And, and Boaz goes to Ruth and he says, Ruth, I know who you are. Everybody knows who you are. They know what you've done on behalf of of your mother-in-law, Naomi, please don't leave my field. He says, stay here. He goes, don't just hang with, the, with those who are gleaning, but come forward and hang with my young women. And then she says, and if you're thirsty or you need something, go to where my young men are and drink the water they've drawn. He says, don't leave my field. Let my field be what you need. And she's like, okay. So she comes back to Naomi. And Naomi's like, well, whose fields have you been in? And she's like, Boaz. And she's like, oh my gosh, Boaz. I know Boaz. Boaz is one of our redeemers. And then he, she says, well, what did Boaz say? Boaz says that I need to stay here and just keep gleaning from his field. And this is what's going to go on. And Naomi says, you should, you should definitely do that. Chapter 2, verse 23 ends with, so she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So that's where we are. We've seen this transition of uh, Naomi's life going from leaving Bethlehem to coming back to Bethlehem, being bitter, having everything, losing everything. Now she has this, this daughter-in-law, Ruth, and Ruth has just come about this man's field. The first field she walks on that's a little God-ordained action right there, right? This first field she just comes walking on, a Moabite woman, mind you, so not only is she a woman in a culture that doesn't value women, she's a foreign woman from a, country, from a, from a people that Israel hates. So she has no reason to assume she's going to gain anything in Bethlehem, and yet she comes upon Boaz's field. So Boaz says, stay she says, okay. Naomi says, do as Boaz has said. 
And Ruth's like, sounds good. Verse 1 in chapter 3, are you guys ready? Cool. Then, okay, let me stop there. Let me stop there. Because real quick, then implies something, okay? What does that imply? Well, we know from the verse prior, it says that she was gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. So just to give you a kind of a timeline, that would be roughly three months. So from the moment of chapter two beginning to the moment of chapter three starting, we're looking at about three months that Ruth has lived under the protection of Boaz and has been able to go and harvest and get food for her, her and, and Naomi. What does it mean when the harvest is done? She can't glean anymore. Then. So she's been for three months under this protection with food that she can get access to. Verse, or chapter 3 says, then <laughs> it's over. Three months out of 12 months. What is she going to do for the next nine? So we have, this, we have this plot point in the story that, that we could easily just kind of gloss over, like, yeah, no big deal. But no, this is a big situation because Naomi is now at another cross point where life looks hard because there's no longer a field that they can just go harvest from, right? There's no gleaning now because there's nothing left to glean. It's gone. So we have this plot point that says, then the harvest has come to an end. So before we can move any for, more forward into this, this narrative, we have to realize a significant moment in time before we see what happens. Naomi, who has come back to Bethlehem bitter, wants to be called Mara, looks at God as the one causing all of the pain, now is at this next season in life where it says, for the next nine months, what are we going to do? And so chapter 3, verse 1 again. Then Naomi, the mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Now, I don't know if you've noticed, this is kind of an, a turn in the way Naomi's been responding to situations, at least in the first two chapters, right? The first chapter, she's like, call me Mara, right? Just bitter, no hope. Chapter 2, we start to see her heart soften a little bit when she, when she hears about the, the, the interaction between Ruth and Boaz and how Boaz is going to take care of them. She starts to, to soften a little bit, like, almost like she's like, oh my gosh, God might actually be working on our behalf right here. She has this, this moment. So now we have three months. For three months, God has ordained that Boaz's field would be the covering that Naomi would start to, to be brought back into this right view. And so here it is. We got this next moment in Naomi's life, and it's going to be a big one. And her decision is, I need to find rest for Ruth. There's an act and change. She's no longer looking at herself right now, right? She's not concerned about whether she's going to eat again. She's not concerned about what she's going to do, but she's looking at Ruth, who for three months has been going into the field and gleaning and working and bringing home food, and she looks at it, and she's like, my daughter, we're, we're at the end of the harvest. Like, that three months of gleaning was a great, like, midterm covering. She's like, but that's, it's gone now. So she has this moment, like, I have to find a rest that's lasting, a rest that's bigger, a rest that's greater than this idea of gleaning. She wants to find her a rest that is going to go further than the harvest. 
So what is that rest going to look like? Well, she starts to come up with this, this plan. If we keep reading, reading again, verse 1 says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he was winnowing uh, barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on a cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go, and uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she, meaning Ruth, replied, all you say I will do. Naomi has a plan. She has a plan. She sees it. Almost like this moment where, where you've like lived through some life, and then you're starting to see, oh, maybe God was involved in all what's going on. You can kind of almost kind of see, like not prophetically, right? Because I don't want to say like we have like those eyes that we can figure out what God's doing, but sometimes we can see how God has been orchestrating things. And you're like, uh-huh. <laughs> you might be up to something, God. Right? I think this is what we're seeing happen in Naomi right now. I think she's starting to see, huh, this is, this is too good to not have something specific coming from God here. So she says, is Boaz not our relative? Has, she not, has he not let you hang out with his young women? And she goes, look, he's winnowing barley right now. Just for you know, winnowing, 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 would, would essentially be, so they would, they would grab all of the, the harvesting and the grain would be part of the stock, and it would have shelling and stuff. So they would go to the threshing floor, and they would, like, crush it, however they're going to do it. They would crush it, and then they would take it, like, with a fork, and they would, like, throw it up in the air. And then, like, the chaff would blow away, and the grain would fall down, and they would just keep doing this until all the chaff was gone. That's what happens. So I don't know if you guys have ever, I don't know if the idea of uh, chaff and grain, or wheat and chaff, sounds familiar to you. That's what Jesus, right? Right? We talk, God says it all the time, how he's separating true believers from non-believers by separating the wheat and the chaff. That's what he's talking about is this crushing, because <laughs> we love being crushed, right? Nope. So this, this crushing, and then the throwing up, and then the wind blowing away, that which was not ready, and then the grain falling to the ground. So when we read that in the Bible about God um, separating the wheat from the tares or the goats from the sheep, that's what he's talking about. It's going to hurt, and those who are God and trust God will fall where it needs to. Those who won't will wash away. Sounds a lot like the other, the seed, right? You guys getting with the whole parables there? Cool. Same story over and over again, the gospel. Good. So that's what's happening. He's winnowing. He's on the threshing floor, which means he's done. Now, mind you, he's also got servants, and yet he's the one doing it. Just saying. Maybe he's just a hardworking dude. Maybe he likes hanging out with his guys. But he's down there, he's threshing, he's doing all this thing, and Naomi goes, okay, here's the plan. You know where he's at. You know what he's doing. When he's all said and done, now he's doing it at night, probably because it's windier, just so you know. That's most likely why he's doing it at night, because there's more wind, so more chaff blows away. Rather than him throwing it up and going, right, he's letting the, the wind do it. So she goes, while he's there, he's going to eat some dinner, he's going to get his fill, he's going to be happy. Now, any guy who works with their hands and they can look at the end of the day and be like, yeah, I did that. Right? That's, that's kind of this merriment that's filling. She goes, so here's what's going to happen. Here's what I need you to do, Ruth. I need you to go, go wash yourself, go anoint yourself. Because how has Boaz seen Ruth up until this point but a sweaty, hot mess? Right? She's like, you need to go get purdy, girl. Go get your hair done. Go anoint yourself. Now, anoint yourself, meaning set yourself apart for something. 
Mm, you guys getting it, right? So go anoint yourself, go get ready, put on a cloak, go down at night, don't let anybody see you. Okay, it's looking a little sketchy right now, right? right? She's like, don't let nobody see you, and don't say nothing to the man until he falls asleep, and then go to where he's sleeping and take off the blanket from his feet. Cool. Cool, that's a plan. So let's kind of break this up a little bit, because... If I'm honest, if I'm watching this in a movie, I'm thinking, oh, girl, don't do it. Don't do it, right? Don't do it. So let's see what happens, right? So the best part is, Ruth, here's this, this, this plan, right? Now understand, what Ruth is about to do is to leave every ounce of her well-being in the way Boaz responds. Because whatever Boaz says or does will be what happens to Ruth. Now, just, Ruth hears this plan from Naomi, and she says, all that you say, I will do. That's, that's a mighty amount of faith going on right here. Mighty amount of faith. So we see this, here is what's going on. Now, we also got to understand, Naomi knows what she's asking Ruth to do. Naomi knows that couple things here. If Ruth goes and Boaz rejects, that's trouble. Ruth, she also knows that if Ruth goes down there and something was to physically happen to Ruth, now who's going to care for Naomi? And yet, Naomi acts and comes up with this plan. Why? The character of Boaz has been made known. She knows he's a worthy man. He's proven himself to be a worthy man. So no longer is she no longer a, a cynical, untrusting, uh, broken woman, but we're seeing as God's ordained this interaction between Ruth and Boaz, Naomi is growing, Naomi is healing, Naomi almost maybe what could be being restored. See what's happening here? I'm going to share this with you, hopefully not to ruin what's coming next week, but so I actually had the honor of, of preaching through uh, Ruth for Advent like seven or eight years ago, and uh, loved it, it was great, super good, beautiful picture of, of, of Christmas. But this time, what I've noticed is we love to focus on Ruth and Boaz, and we look at Naomi almost like as this like, secondary character, but my heart's been drawn to Naomi this entire time. Because it's almost as if everything that's happening with Boaz and Ruth was in direct effect to move Naomi. That's all I'm going to tell you. You have to be here next week to actually find out if I'm full of stuff or if it's uh, really, really true. Uh, so, yeah, but I see we, we see Naomi starting to get hopeful. You see her starting to trust that good may come, that maybe restoration would happen. And so all of this is getting rooted in this trust that maybe there is something bigger. Maybe God is actually for me. Verse 6. It says, So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law commanded. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went and lay down at the end of a heap of grain. Then she came softly and under, uncovered his feet and lay down. So here we go. We got the scene. Boaz has done it. He's eaten. He's drank. And now I need to 
quickly and hopefully pointedly make a point to say, when it says that he had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, I do not believe Boaz was drunk. I don't believe that. Now, did he have wine with his folks? Probably. Probably, because it was culture, right? That's, that's what happens. Do I think he was drunk? No. I don't think he was drunk. I think the fact that the man just had a very good harvest because he was next to a pile of grain, right? He just spent an, a whole day doing all of this work, and he's got a pile of grain. He probably had a laugh and a great time with his servants, who we know he's already got a phenomenal relationship with, right? Because it's, when they interact with each other in the beginning of chapter 2, we can see that Boaz is an upstanding guy. So was Boaz's heart merry? Yes. Was it merry with alcohol? No. And here's why I say that. Here's why it matters. We need to read into the scriptures by the character of Boaz that the scriptures have given us. Does that make sense? Scripture has been very clear to tell us that Boaz is a worthy man, an upstanding man, a man that is God-honoring. So if that is the character of Boaz, then when we read something that can be taken one way or the other, we must depend everything on our, how that is coming about by what the scriptures has already told us about Boaz. Not what we think about Boaz. Right? I view Boaz as a big, jolly guy. He could totally be a thin-cut dude. I don't know. The scriptures don't tell me what Boaz looks like, right? They, but the scriptures do tell me who Boaz is as a person, which means I can read this, and I know Boaz is married because he's had a good harvest, right? He's married because God's cared for, and he can see God's provision all around him. He can see God's doing everything, and he probably knows that grain had nothing to do with him or his harvesters, but 100% because God let it grow, right? That's where Boaz is. He's got a pile of grain. God gave this to him. He's worked with his people who he obviously cares about. So when it says that he is, he is merry, he's not drunk, okay? Okay, I'm glad we're on the same page there. I thought we were going to fight. Anyways, verse 8. So it says, At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she said, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wing over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now it's getting to the nitty-gritty, folks. Getting to the nitty-gritty here. So Boaz is there. He's sleeping now. He's, he's got his blanket. And, and now Ruth is like, okay, it's time. Right? Like, and I, don't, I don't know what she was doing. I, I feel bad for her. She's got to like hide in the darks with this cloak. You know? I wish we were Harry Potter with the invisibility ones. But she's hiding, right? Sees Boaz, lays down, puts his blanket on. He falls asleep. And it says she comes and she does just as she was supposed to. She uncovers his feet and then lays down and just waits. <laughs> doesn't tell us how long, by the way. We only know at midnight is when he woke up. We don't know what time she actually started this whole scenario. So let me talk about some stuff here, just so we don't um, mar the character of Boaz or Ruth in this. A couple things we want to pay attention to. One of those is, why uncover the feet? Everybody wants to know that answer. You know what I'm going to tell you? I don't know. I think it's to get him cold. I do. I do. Now, culturally speaking, culturally speaking, a servant could lay at the feet of a master and get some of the blanket as warmth. Like, that was a thing, culturally speaking. A servant could come into the master's room and lay at the feet of the master to get some of the heat, or if there's a fire, whatever it happens to be, right? Like, that, that, was a, that was a genuine thing. Now, the uncovering could be literally... Just so eventually that cold breeze would come and he would literally wake up with cold feet. I, 
right? I think that's where we're at. I think that's where we're at. I just want to throw a very hyper-spiritualized view of this just to throw you off. You cool with that? Don't take this as gospel. Don't take this as gospel. Perhaps. I was telling my wife this. She looked at me kind of crazy. But perhaps. <laughs> so again, don't take this as gospel. I'm being a little over-algorizing here because I feel like I can. Because you all trust that this isn't gospel, right? We are there. Okay. Perhaps. She said, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Perhaps it was a symbol to show her uncovering. I know, it's super bad, but there you go. I just wanted to give you guys something to like think about. Like Perhaps maybe she meant something by it. Maybe she didn't. We don't know. What do we know? Here's why I tell you this, okay? We went through the book of Revelation, right? And how many times did Pastor Jeff say, don't get lost in the stuff, right? Because there's, there's a meaning that needs to happen here. So what I'm saying is don't get lost in the uncovering of the feet, okay? Because what matters is how this whole interaction happened. Where did Ruth lay? At the feet, not next to him. See, see Ruth came into this guarding her chastity and his. That's what we need to see. We need to see the uprightedness moving in because, be honest, ladies, if a guy was there, I mean, good looking or not, and you got no way of getting any kind of covering, and he's got a slight possibility of covering, there is something in you that says, I will do whatever I got to do so that he likes me, right? And now, guys, we're all sinners. We're all broken, right? This pretty girl comes up to us and goes, love me. And we're like, well, okay. <laughs> Only if I can have X, Y, Z, Right? Now, if she was to lay next to Boaz, there's a good chance, and I'm not saying Boaz would do this because he's an upstanding guy, but to lay next to Boaz would be a symbol of, I'm yours. Ruining, therefore, the character and chastity of both. So whether the, the cover, uncovering of feet was to symbolize anything or not, doesn't matter. What matters is she laid at his feet. She protected his chastity. She protected his morality and her own. So what does that mean? Circumstances do not give us freedom to sin or to justify immorality. It just doesn't. Circumstances cannot allow us to justify what is right or wrong for the sake of doing something better here. We can't justify sin by circumstance, right? And emotions don't give us ground for improper actions. That's what we can pull from how Ruth interacted with Boaz, how Ruth came to Boaz. She came to Boaz at night where it was safe, right? She came in a way that protected both of their characters. She kept it private, allowed for a conversation to be had with each other in an intimate setting that didn't give anybody any insight. She guarded everything. And what did she call him? You are one of our redeemers. You are a Redeemer. So real quick for us to understand what that term means. So Leviticus 25 and Deuteronomy 25, if you want to turn with me to Deuteronomy, we're going to read Deuteronomy 25, but Leviticus 25 and Deuteronomy 25 are two different pillars when it comes to redemption. Leviticus 25 is talking about 
property and civil things. So if you are a man who's running out of money and you need to sell property, Leviticus 25 is what gives us the understanding of how somebody is to redeem or care for property. And then you have Deuteronomy 25, which is now going to talk about widows. So that's where I want to read. So Deuteronomy 25, starting in, in verse 5, it says, If brothers dwell together, and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man sh- shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in to her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of the dead brother, that is the name that may not be blotted out of Israel. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate, and the elders say, My husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of the city shall call him, speak to him, and if he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her, then the brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders and put a sandal, pull the sandal off his foot and spit in his face. I didn't say it. And she shall answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house, and the name of his house shall be called in Israel, the house of him who has his, had his sandal pulled off. Okay. I don't know, guys. Spit, gonna spit in the face. That's pretty rough. But here's what's happening. So when he says you are one of our redeemers, what she's saying is relationally, you are close enough to be this guy, to be this guy. So, so you could almost see this is, this is Ruth genuinely almost proposing marriage. Like she's saying, marry me, Boaz, redeem me. Like if there's not a more uh, vulnerable place to set yourself, I think that's pretty much it, right? <laughs> hey, Boaz, I know I've been gleaning in your field. Would you marry me? I mean, she said it much more tactfully, right? But that's what's happening. But what I need you to see is when I talked about how God's righteousness is played out in the law, what does this tell us except for the fact that God genuinely cares for the widow? I mean, it's in God's word that if a man will not redeem a widow, (laughs) his sandal should be taken off and spit in the face. So this whole idea of redemption is near and dear to God. Can we, can we agree to that? And this idea of, of, of Ruth being a, a widow and now needing a, a covering, the responsibility of a redeemer is high. It's genuinely high. It is a high call. One, I would say, should be considered an honor. Right? We always talk about how we're supposed to be the hands and feet of Christ as we go out into the world and love those who aren't lovable. Right, This is what we're supposed to do, the hall order of what it is to preach the gospel, Right, because this is the thing that brings life. We talk about the responsibility it is to, to be the one that would bring that good news. And here we have this situation where the Redeemer, has, has there is such a responsibility on this position of Redeemer that it, it values for a man to be... Have a lose a sandal, be spit in the face, and then forever be known as the man who has one sandal. I don't know that I want that nickname, but so there's <laughs> John, one sandal, John. I don't want to be that guy. So we see the high order here. So when she comes and she says, "Lay over me or cover over me with your wings," be our redeemer. What's Boaz going to say now? Because we know Boaz is upstanding, right? We know Boaz is worthy. We know that Boaz views God's word and who God is and his commands with, with the utmost, we would assume, right? So verse 19, and he said, 
May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after younger men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So a couple things to note here. Boaz says you are absolutely correct, right? Well, let's start here. Let's start here. Because this one I, I wrestled around with. He said, this kindness is better than the last. What the heck is that? What kindness is he talking about? Anybody guess? There you go, Naomi. Ruth, chapter 2, verses 11 and 2. So if you have their books, just flip right there. It says, But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to the people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, who un under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So yes, I believe that first kindness is exactly that. He's saying, what you did for Naomi, what you have done for Naomi, what you continue to do for Naomi is an amazing kindness. He says, you aren't even Jewish. You know nobody in this land. You know nothing of the God that we worship. And yet, when a situation came up, you showed kindness to Naomi. He says, this is this kindness. So what is this second kindness? Well, there's two, two sides to it. I'll let you pick which one you like. That's what we'll do. So the first one is, she is now asking to be married to Boaz that Naomi's line may be restored. Because see, Ruth, she's a Moabite. She could go marry whoever she wants to, right? She could go back and find the best-looking Moabite warrior that's super studly, like Justin Timberlake or something, right? Like she could go find the Moabite version of Justin Timberlake. But instead, she has come to Boaz, knowing that Boaz is the means by which Naomi can be restored. So perhaps his second kindness that is greater is the fact that he's saying, you are willing to marry that you might restore Naomi. Now, there's the other side of it, where what does he say that you have not gone after young men? What's that tell us? Boaz probably ain't a young dude. And here's the thing. We know Boaz thinks highly of Ruth. Here's what I think is really going on inside of Boaz. Come on, guys. You can, you can vouch for me here. Boaz sees this beautiful woman in his field, then finds out how righteous she is, and he's like a little bit smitten. Come on, let's be real, right? When you see a good girl, you see a good girl. I think Boaz sees Ruth, and is just like, man, if I was 20 years younger. I'm, I'm reading into this, guys, okay? I'm reading into this. But I think you could see, Boaz could be saying, man, if only. And then here comes Ruth now, asking him to be that husband, so perhaps the greatest kindness is that she finds him worthy 
Maybe it's both. Maybe I'm wrong on both ends. Shoot me. I don't know. But this is, the, the, the fact of the matter is, what we see is Boaz knows the woman Ruth is. Her character has been shown. And just a fun little word game. Did you notice that Boaz's prayer, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come, take refuge, is the same terms that she asked Boaz to do for her? Good stuff, right? Word games. So, could Boaz be talking about the fact that Ruth is willing to marry, that she might redeem Naomi? Yes. Could he be just literally falling all that more head over heels over this amazing woman because she wants to marry him? Yes. Could it be both? Yes. Could it be neither? Yes. Okay, good. We're on the same page. We're killing it, guys. We are... You're super killing it. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, yeah, so what we're seeing here now, Bo, or Ruth is getting to see the righteousness of God lived out in his, in his people. Right? Like, Ruth didn't grow up in the church. Ruth didn't grow up Jewish. She's not heard the stories outside of Naomi, and my guess is the stories coming from Naomi weren't painting God all that good. But what she's experiencing here is the righteousness of God lived out through the, the way that Boaz is living the law. Should kind of put a little bit of weight on us, right? On how we're going to live out our Christian walk. Because we have no idea just how influential we can be. But Boaz, just because we want to make sure Boaz, Boaz wants to make sure we know he's righteous, okay? Because he says, I will redeem you. Now here's the thing. We know Boaz is smitten. I know he is. I know I'm saying you don't have to believe that, but I'm pretty sure he is. Right? So a smitten man has this woman that says, come and marry me, under the cloud of no one knowing anything else, right? She's asking for it to be done under the law of Redeemer. Not just because she wants to marry him. Now, he could just be like, oh, she wanted to marry me, so I married her, right? But no. She asked for it out of the law of Redeemer, and Boaz is too upstanding to go past that. And he says, okay, but there's one before me. So we see Boaz take this, this proposal of a woman I'm pretty confident he's smitten by, and he could usurp the law and just marry her, but instead, God's law means more to him than Ruth. And so his response is, there's one nearer, but I promise you, if he doesn't, I will. So we, he leaves this, this night. He says, stay here till the night. He goes, but I promise you, by tomorrow, you will be redeemed. Now put yourself in Ruth's shoes now to hear those words, right? Stay here. You're safe here, right? Because chances are it's dark. It's midnight. You all know what happens after midnight. It's when the sketchy folks come out, Right? And so Naomi would have to, or sorry, Ruth would have to walk back to Naomi's house in the sketchy times, and uh, Boaz is like, no, stay here. <laughs> You're just going to stay right here. We're going to stay apart, because we're going to stay chaste, 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 yeah, chaste, chastity, or whatever. We're going to stay there, and then in the morning, you, you can go back. So verse 14. So she lay at his feet until the morning, 
but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you were wearing and hold it out. And she held it out, and he measured six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, this six measures of barley he gave for me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how these matters turn out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So the morning comes. You guys know those mornings where it's still too dark to see anything. So Boaz and Ruth wake up. Boaz is like, okay, I need to guard you just as you guarded me. He goes, I need to get you out of here before anybody comes up with any ideas that there was a woman here. And then he says, but I can't send you home empty-handed. So he says, pull out your cloak. So she gets her cloak, and he puts six uh, measures of barley on there, sends her back to Naomi and says, go and wait. Go and wait. This is what we call the already not yet. She's got a promise. She's got a promise. Boaz says, I will have you redeemed by end of day, whether him or I. Him or I will make the decision today. You will be redeemed by the end of the day. Now go home and wait. A couple things about that. Think about, think about Ruth now, okay? So, she has just put herself out there. Very awkward situation, I'm sure. Gets sent back with six measures of barley. Now goes back to Naomi. Naomi, of course, is like, girl, tell me. I don't think it was like that. It was much more motherly. But she's like, what happened? How did you fare? How did this go down? Did he, did he accept it? Is he going to redeem you? What's going on? And she says, yes. Not only is he going to redeem me, not only is he going to, to fix this, whether it's this guy or him, but he even sent me with these, these measures of barley. He, he wanted to make sure that I didn't even come home without a promise, without a sign of a promise, without something to say, I promise I will come back for you. And Naomi's response is, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matters turn out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter Today. There's a very different then inside Naomi and Ruth's house now. 24 hours has gone from then we have no idea how we're going to feed ourselves to we have a promised redemption. 24 hours has done that. And so she sits and she waits for news from Boaz. And if we can just kind of sit there for a second and just, just think, all, all you ladies, those of you who have had the, the question popped, those of you who are waiting for to have the question popped, right, to have that moment where someone says, will you marry me? And you're like, yes, right? That joy, right, of just knowing that, that there's hope for life next. There's something new coming. There's something better. There's this covering coming. This, this oneness is happening, this, this fulfillment. The thing God says, be fruitful and multiply, right? Become one flesh. Like all of this stuff, the thing inside of us that says we need something else, all of this is coming together, and she's got all of this joy. Like there was then, I don't know what's going to happen, 24 hours, then it's wait till he gets here. Could you imagine the joy that is happening inside Naomi's house right now? It's just kind of fitting, right? We were talking about joy today. 
and this, this joy that they're going to sit and wait, right? Just, just imagine being that out the window. Just, is it him? Is he coming? Is my hair okay? Right? Because there's just joy. There's been a promise. There's a promise of redemption. The already not yet. Now, you guys have probably heard that because that is where we live today as Christians. That is exactly where we live today. Jesus says in John 14, uh, verses 1 to 4, Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you and that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, will I not come again? And will I not take you to myself? That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. So as we talk about Ruth being redeemed, right? Brought in. And she's, she's in this scene, right? I'm not going to tell you what happens. Don't read ahead. She's in this moment of waiting. There's a promise of redemption. Boaz is saying, I'm going to go to the gates. I'm going to find this redeemer, and I will settle the situation now. Work is being done. This is exactly where we live in our life right now. Let me just close with the gospel. See, we live in this already, not yet, today. Just as Boaz has promised to Ruth, that he will go to the city gates and have her redeemed by day's end. So Jesus has promised us that he has gone and begun a work of redemption for us, and he too will redeem us by time's end. Jesus, having been born to live the sinless life, having paid for our sins, receiving the due penalty for each one of them, having died on the cross in our place, resurrecting and ascending to the Father, where he is mediating for us every day, Christ has gone to redeem us. Just as Boaz gave Ruth six measures of barley as a seal, as a promise, a sign, something to encourage her soul, Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit. Paul says numerous times in his letters that the Holy Spirit is a seal on us, a guarantee that Christ will return for us. Imagine the joy of a widow who has received the pledge of redemption. The joy, the gratitude, the peace. Beloved, this is us in Christ. This is us in Christ. Joy rooted in the promise. Joy in the coming redemption. Joy in the waiting for our bridegroom to come bring us home. So I leave with a question. Do we wait with the joy we're assuming Ruth is sitting in at the end of our scene. Do we look at life and know that redemption is done, the joy of redemption? Do we sit and wait in that with joy? Do we view life with joy because redemption is already at work? A couple thoughts for your takeaways. For myself, literally, literally, Am I waiting in the joy of redemption? I think I lose sight of redemption often. I feel like I, get, I, I live in that Naomi Mara world. 
Why would you do this, God? Why would you do that, God? Not realizing that I've been redeemed and he, God, Christ is working out that I might leave this place. And so for me, do I really live in that joy of redemption? So for all of my mature believers, how are you helping those around you to remain in that joy of redemption? Are you encouraging those in need of hope to find joy in redemption? Are you giving them the words that actually matter? Like Boaz held the law at such high levels, are we saying the gospel is truly able to bring joy? Can we find joy in all circumstances knowing redemption is coming? Are you encouraging? For all of our precious new believers, life here will always be broken. But worry not, for your rest is secured. Wait on our Redeemer's return, for our joy is in Christ and not this world. Trust, trust. For anyone here who maybe hasn't found their their faith in Christ, this world is broken. Everyone will say that. Death is real and pain is guaranteed. But there is a Redeemer. There is a way to be brought into the protection of God. That that, that Redeemer is Jesus Christ. Your way into redemption is you're recognized for the need to see your sin, to repent, and to believe Jesus Christ has done and is doing and will continue to do what he promises, and that is your salvation. In redeeming us from our sin and brokenness, restore this creation that we've broken with our sin. If you don't know Jesus, hear this story of Boaz and Ruth and know that there is a, a redeemer out at the gate working on our behalf. Parents and kids, are you displaying the, the joy of redemption to your kids? <laughs> Do your kids know the joy that comes from being redeemed, right? Do they know what it is for, for us to be joyful in our hardship? Parents, are we doing that? Now, kids, I don't know there's many kids here, but I need you to hear something, kids, 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 kids. Christ talks about having the faith of a child because that faith is unmarred. That faith is, is pure and it's joyous, and we need to hear it. We need you to tell us about the joy of redemption. We need you to tell us about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. So are you sharing with with those around you, friends, brothers, sisters, cousins, aunts, the person sitting next to you right now, are you sharing with them your joy and who Christ is? Let me pray for us, and then we'll do a couple minutes for takeaways. Uh, Father, I just... Thank you so much for your redemption, for your redemptive work, Father, to know that we have a Redeemer out working on our behalf. Lord, as we've read this story of of Ruth and Boaz and and Naomi and and just your, your sovereign work, Lord, would we trust the joy that comes in knowing that we have a Redeemer? Would you go before us, Father? Would you go before our conversations, Lord? Would we be like faith? Or would we have faith like Ruth and put ourselves out there? Would we share? Would we, would we work out our faith uh, with uh, fear and trembling as the scriptures call us to? And Lord, and would, you, would you grow us? Would you unite us and empower us under the name of Christ? We love you, Lord. We thank you and pray in your son's name. Amen. All right, small groups. Small groups. I got to remember I say that. Small groups.